Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. In by Kulisevsky. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Windy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Windy. And our tactics guy, and a man who I think is more trick than treat, it's Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. <laughs> Ooh. We, <laughs> I'm receiving trick and treaters to my house for the first time in my life right now. Mm. And they're going to be, if you hear any knocking and screaming in the distance, <laughs> it's honestly just that and not something more nefarious. Did you, did you get sweets in, or are you going to get egged? We we've got sweets. We got sweets. Okay. My my Marion was really excited to be receiving trick or treaters, and it's not something I've had before. Except I'm going to be in here recording through most of that period of time. <laughs> Brilliant. I think um, if if they knock for me, I'm going to give them a, a square of eighty five percent dark chocolate. <laughs> Brilliant. That's all I've got. I've been I've been away all weekend. I've got nothing. I've got nothing in stock. So I I don't know what's in store. I'm just going to hope that they just don't knock. <laughs> And if they do not, I will turn the lights off. No, no, no. Okay, then then they should leave you alone, right? They should leave me alone, right? Yeah, no pumpkin, no party. That's that's the rule in my my village. Seems fair. Hmm. Seems very fair. Um, We've got two um, (laughs) interesting games to talk through. Oh my God, what is going on with Spurs at the moment? Um, Let's start with Bournemouth. (sighs) I mean... There is something to be admired about the second half, I guess, isn't there? There's something to be admired about it. I wasn't too down about it at halftime. I know a lot of people were getting upset, but they they scored a good goal in the counter-attack. They're, um, they're big dudes, Kiefer Moore, and their other big dude, Solanke, put together a nice little move, and they scored, a, they scored a good goal on the counter. But I just thought the amount of time that we were getting into their final third, all it needed at some point, somebody had to create something good and do a good pass or something. <laughs> so I, I, was, I, I thought we'd win. i got to say, when we went 2-0 down, I was a little bit unsure. But I thought we'd turn that game around at halftime for sure. Mm. Uh, Nathan, when you saw the team selection, and it was once again our favourite right-sided combo of Davinson Sanchez and uh, Emerson Royale, what what, were your, what was your reaction to that? Did you just kind of think, ah, oh, you know, it's Bournemouth, it should be fine? Um, like to a small extent of like, <laughs> well, Bournemouth aren't a good pressing side, so at least we don't have to worry about that, but... I was also very concerned about our ability to do anything in the final third and mm. yeah, kind of played out like I thought. What I wasn't expecting is us to be done on the counter pretty hard. That isn't of, of the mm. weaknesses that we've had um, when things have been down under Conte, getting done on the counter has is, is not been significant for us and they, they got us twice like that. Mm-hmm. I was I was a little interested to see Longley in the middle, and then he didn't look great for either of those goals. You know, um, I think that's fair. I think like he, yeah, I think it's fair to say he didn't look great for them. I don't think he was directly responsible. I think he was okay in the middle. It, the, 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 to me, it wasn't like yes, Longley has to play in the middle now, but it also wasn't. Uh, this is a disaster. It can't ever happen again. I feel like we need to see more of Longley in the middle to 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 know more. Um, one thing that was notable, and we got a couple of questions about this, was was Eric Dyer coming on and playing on the right of the back three. So Yankee Doodle Spurs, he said, am I crazy for thinking that Dyer looked a new player in that brief role on the right of the three? He looked unreal going forward. He was playing as right wing back, essentially, and played a few really nice balls in from the wing. Part of me wants him to play actual right wing back. Lest we forget he started there on the potch and got the late winner from the, from that spot in his first match in, against West Ham. 
And similarly, Horshit and Burgers said Dyer looks comfortable on the right and offers some quality further up the pitch. Romero said he likes playing centrally and I think we'd use the ball better from deep. Do we have them the wrong wrong way round? Um, I don't think so. I think um, I think Romero had a fantastic game against Lisbon as an auxiliary forward who just wandered <laughs> up from, from right centre-back. Um, Dyer at right wing-back, I'd rather see Emerson at, at right wing-back. But uh, I do think Dyer played well and he changed the game just because he's just a better footballer than, than Davinson. And by that time when he came on, Bournemouth were, had parked the bus and were attempted to hang on for dear yeah. life. So Dyer had plenty of time to wander forward and, and, and play football, which, which he can do. So um, I'm not sure if I would swap him and him and Romero around, but I do think it's an option with Romero injured to play Dyer there. Although I am concerned about him getting done over the over the top. But I, I think it's better than Davinson because he was awful for that first goal and um, he should have done a little bit better on the second goal. I, I have no idea what he, what he was attempting to do for that first goal. <laughs> Fair, yeah. He, he played some decent passes from the right-hand side, but I think that there's much more scope for the ball getting behind him on, on the right side. He doesn't suit him defensively. And the yeah. same for Romero. Like he, mm. he can be sort of technical under pressure in the central role, but defensively he's too aggressive. So maybe, maybe offensively there's something to be said about them being switched that I'm not convinced of. Um, but definitely def- defensively they've got to be they've got to be dire in the middle and Romero wide. Mm. So the first half of this game was a bit of a disaster. Let's be honest. Um, not only were we creating very little, we got caught twice or maybe even three times on the counter, one of which ended in a goal. Uh, we looked pretty vulnerable to counterattacks throughout that first half. Um, at halftime, Conte made a single change, which was Oliver Skip going off. I thought that was a, a good decision. Lucas coming on. I did not think that was a good decision. I, I, I thought after the sporting game, I thought Brian Hill absolutely deserved to be first attacking change. I'd have started him. Um, yeah, for sure. Like It made sense to, to me to start him for this one, um, but absolutely at the very least to be the first attacking change. Yeah. Why Why do you think he brought Lucas on? Uh, <laughs> um, I don't know. There's a lot to unpack there, really. He he has shown a tendency um, to play Hill in European games and not play him in league games, um, and that and he's been very open that that's a matter of physicality. You know the the fact that he um, is seen as like a useful option against Sporting, against Marseille, against Frankfurt, but not seen as someone who could possibly play in a match against Bournemouth. Uh, like you can see his reasoning. Obviously, Hill is small. Um, but we were crying out for his creativity in this game, um, or you know, someone's and Lucas doesn't have that. Whereas he, Lucas, is more physical, is an incredible jumper for his size. Um, not that he looks like you know close to sharp when in, in his sub appearance. Um, any of them recently? It's um, it was a really hard substitution to to take it really it really bothered me not that i didn't see it coming at all but it really bothered me in this game i think um i think he simply went with lucas kind of for the kind of the shock and awe factor of it that um we know gil hill sorry wants to ball into feet and he wants to create whereas lucas will literally just charge through and create chaos and break the lines i think it's i think it's nothing more than that i would prefer to have seen brian come on but i think lucas was just the chaos factor and nobody was um nobody was running beyond the, the portsmouth back line so portsmouth. i think that's why sorry the bournemouth <laughs> i've had a nightmare of a, a couple of sentences no one was running beyond the bournemouth line and that's what lucas gives you he's not a good footballer but he has his um he has his uses well it was yeah. Sessegnon he rang beyond the lines in the end mm. and I thought that was a, a well works goal well played pass by Hilbjerg well yeah. left yeah. by Sun uh good movement from from Sessegnon and, and a good finish too it just felt like that was basically our only move um prior to a flurry of set pieces um after 70 minutes I I thought that we were I was really down on this game I thought we were really really poor um with what we could achieve in possession um i i wasn't hugely celebratory of of the winner partly because i saw it coming right um we are so good from corners now um i have so much confidence in our threat from set pieces 
we were pushing really hard to enable those set pieces to come. Yeah, we upped our intensity. Mm-hmm. I get that's actually mm-hmm. a major talking point. We should we should come back to that. I don't know if do we have that in the running order, but Larissa's comments about intensity. Let's come back to that in a bit. Mm. Um, we upped our intensity. We were winning corner after corner, winning corners off the back of corners. And I just, mm-hmm. I just felt that goals were coming. Even after we'd already scored one, I felt the goals were coming, and I had a not dissimilar reaction to Conte <laughs> at the winner, which is go like, "Good, that's done. We can move on." I, <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I, I didn't, I didn't cheer too much. Uh, the winner, to be honest, I, I did cheer. I think winning any game from a two-nil down situation is something that deserves to be cheered. Yeah, you're right. We did, we did press, and in a similar way, you're, you're right about the intensity. At the moment, Spurs just seem to be go, able to go long and hard and deep into games, which is great. And we forced and we pushed and we pushed, and eventually they buckled under it. I just wish we could start with a little bit of the same vigour. That, that would be lovely. It felt to me um, really overly risk-averse again from Conte. Um, you know, not yeah. that I thought... I, I thought Basuma was absolutely fine in, in what he did. I wasn't... I didn't think he was terrible, but I didn't really see the purpose of him being on the pitch, if I'm honest. You know, he's essentially there to break up play and and move the ball five or ten yards left or right to Hoybier and skip. He, he's not adding anything in midfield. So I was kind of thinking, like, why why are we playing Basuma? I don't understand why Basuma was in that team. Uh, the only rationale I can come up with is Conte only trusts a small number of his, of his squad players to start. And given that we're without... Kulisevsky and Richarlison, Basuma is essentially the next in line. So he changes his formation to, to accommodate him. But it felt really unnecessary in this game to have an extra man in midfield, which didn't really help because we were sustaining, like we were keeping possession fine. Like It didn't feel to me like we needed to be too worried about having the extra body in midfield. And to be honest, he didn't stop any of the counterattacks. So that would have been his one use. Yeah. Uh, and, and he didn't manage to do that. So... I couldn't get my head around Conte's system aside from essentially him just playing his favourites to some degree. Um, yeah, and, and I, I kind of feel similarly to Nathan that we, we were heavily reliant on set pieces. Um, it felt like... It does feel like we've got very good at winning set pieces, yeah. which I think is, is is a plus point. Like, we, we are really good at... Um, Getting the ball deep into the into the wings um, and essentially kicking the ball against legs, yeah. and, and that is you know when you've got such impressive set piece um, numbers, that is a good thing. Like that, I'm not going to say that's a bad thing because it's not, but it would be nice to have another route to goal. And um, um, without Kudelski, we are we are sorely lacking that. Uh, like you said, Nathan, Sessegnon's run was really good. Um, but very pleased to see him get found because he makes those runs a lot and doesn't always get found. Uh, I, I did think he was a little lucky with his finish, to be honest. A little bit of a deflection, but a lot of people getting upset about us scoring lots of corners goals. It's 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 a perfectly acceptable yeah, form is. of goal yeah. scoring, and you you see it a lot in tournament football, which is kind of what this is at the moment. Uh, this is a tournament <laughs> rush yeah. to the World Cup. <laughs> So it's about getting to this World Cup with as many points as possible. So I'm all right with it. And you're right. We're not winning corners by just whacking the ball from the halfway line and trying to ping it off someone's head. We, we are moving the ball into dangerous areas. And it's either a cross into the box or you win a corner. And at the moment, we the odds are stacked in our favour when, when the ball is stationary for a corner, for a set piece. But on the Discord, you've got to have a word with some of these people. <laughs> I know that our Discord is a funny place to go when we're, when we're playing football, especially live football can be a bit funny. But you can take joy from winning games like that. You can take joy from last-minute winners. And, you know, there's a lot of shit happening. So just enjoy winning football matches and everything is all right when we do win i mean mean, that you know obviously i don't i don't go on the live football thread i didn't i don't participate on uh you know the live threads on reddit ever i don't check the timeline much on twitter live live football discourse is often very very rough regardless of where it is but um Mm. that that not being too high after a late comeback um, did actually match my own <laughs> feelings in this game. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't know how many points Vo has has given us already. You know, through all competitions, um, you'd have to go back and work out. You can look at the number of goals. Although I also think the number of goals you need to add two to. Remember, I talked about how 
Uh, Dyer scored that goal, uh, dropping to his knees um, after a corner. We scored another one of those, and mm. there's been a handful of chances. And I don't think other teams are doing that. I think that those go to VO as well. And I think that we will score at least another goal a few seconds after a corner playing for the second ball with smart positioning. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, Dan, we we might be in a drastic place if if we didn't bring VO in in the summer. Seriously, but yeah. But, that, but that's not the way to look at it. Like Liverpool, all of a sudden, their throw-ins become sure. good because they hire a throwing coach and everybody's praising the, the analytical and the statistical benefit of doing that. So we've done very similar. So I think we should be here today celebrating VO and celebrating the fact that we've another string to our bow rather than going, oh my God, everything <laughs> is down to, uh, to, to, to senior whipping. You're right. I think it's... The- yeah. The, the, the problem is, Buddy, the other strings on the bow are, cu- the bow are currently mm. broken. So we're, right. we're down to that one string. I mean, it's great. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm, I'm, and, and Frazzle said, when do we put the VO statue outside the stadium? And I'm, I'm fully on board, you know, <laughs> let's celebrate VO. He, he has really brought something to this team for sure. It's been a fantastic signing, brilliant bit of recruitment, really, really impressed with that. Um, but I am concerned about the sort of lack of open play chances we're creating. And I, and I, and you know, obviously, that is down to Kulisevsky being out. It's it's so clearly the case. It's not just Kulisevsky. It's we've got a malfunctioning, a truly, truly malfunctioning right wing back who is at the <laughs> moment in a terrible place. But then no Conte loves passes. him. Why why does Conte love him so much? I don't. I, don't know I, I can't get my head around it. No look passes that go straight out. He's doing a volley, a three sixty volley that goes out the stadium. He he needs resting. He needs moving aside. He he needs to be get injured or another sending <laughs> off. It does feel like it would take something like that for Conte to to go without him. Um, But it's also, there's been no League Cup. So we haven't had opportunities to, um, like before before now, like mid-starting November, we'd have had at least a couple of League Cup runs, games Mm. against lower opposition, where we could have perhaps played Spence back in the day. We would have had Mm. Europa League or Conference League games to to rotate in Saar and Spence and everything else. But it hasn't been like that. There hasn't been an opportunity, I don't think, for Conte to trust or to give players that he's not trusting, mm. um, which is a problem. But mm. I do think I get. I'm hoping against Nottingham Forest in the League Cup, Spence starts, mm. and then we see something from there. Can we do Dan's question while we're on this point? Sure. Mm. So um, Voodoo Chopsticks says, "Can you guys sympathise with uh, or give me some good arguments for Conte repeatedly prioritising seniority over potential? It feels like a repeat pattern. The fan base wants him to play a certain player." He chooses the more experienced, duller option. Does a winning team need more experience than it needs on the ball quality? Is it important to have some kind of clear hierarchy with younger players needing to work hard to earn their place? Is it simply ability to follow instructions being prioritised over potential talent? Help me understand Conte, please. I mean, as an Italian, Conte thinks uh, a footballer is still a young boy until he's 26, 27. We see that constantly throughout the Italian game that youngsters aren't trusted. They they need to grow up and he sees them until they hit their mid-20s. That's when they start getting senior appearances in the national team and everything else. So there is that bit of Italianness in him. Yeah. So that, I think that's I think that's just um, just a part that's a character trait of of Conte and and other Italian managers. Yeah, I uh, I think this is a really interesting question. I think um, I mean it's an obvious talking point, but it, it bring it brings forward to me like um, this is something that we've seen consistently with Conte throughout his career. This is something that we saw with Mourinho, and I think that this is something that we saw not at the beginning with Pochettino, but more towards the end with Pochettino. Um, and this is something that has been right for Conte throughout his career, right? Ready players only, yeah? Um, but that is because everywhere Conte has gone, he has gone to win immediately, right? His goal upon arrival is spend lots of money, obviously not the case for Italy, um, win the next tournament, drill the patterns, win the next tournament. Mm-hmm. And he has been very vocal that the Spurs situation is different, that this time round he's leading a project that will take multiple transfer windows to correct mm-hmm. an investment. Mm-hmm. And he hasn't adapted 
his mm-hmm. player selections to a more project-based thing because, you know, again, this is the first time. I mean, maybe if I go back to his early career, that that isn't right, but I don't know about his 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 first couple of teams, um, you know, pre-Juve. So um, to me, this is the first time that he's, he's managed a, a four or five-year project or something uh, um, approaching that. And this this way of managing the team requires giving players like Jed Spence and Brian Hill minutes over a player who you think is is sort of solid and dependable um, and defensively assured for this given match. I, and I think that that is sort of a place where Conte's adaptation towards longer-term football is, is falling short or just difficult for him to make himself do. But this isn't just a Conte thing. I mean, if you if you put Arsenal to one side because of everything else that had happened to them in terms of getting rid of the older players, the, most of the top managers seem to be very youngster-averse. Man City, how long did it take Guardiola before he gave um, Foden a go? And then if you look at really good players like Pedro Porro, who are really good young players that just never got an opportunity there despite you know the problems that he's had at fullback and stuff. These top managers just seem really unwilling to, um, to trust in a young player. And I, I think that's a, that's, a, that's a pattern across the top end of the league, unless there's a situation where it's an emergency and you've got no choice, but your your strikers off getting tattoos in Paris and you've got no choice but to play in Ketia, that kind of thing. I think there's a difference, though, with City and Guardiola in that for Pedro Porro, he's got Jao Cancelo or Kyle Walker to get beyond to have a chance for Jed Spence, he's got Emerson Royale and Matt Doherty, and no disrespect to Matt Doherty, who I think is a passable right wing back. I don't think that's right. I don't think Spence should have to work this hard to to get just a few minutes, just a, a, a little go, just to see what can happen, just to see how much worse he could do. Um, and what's interesting is, I mean, but Bardi makes a really good point about um, how young players sort of aren't trusted in Italy and, until they're a little bit older, particularly the national team. But Conte himself made his debut at 16 for Lecce and played over 100 games before he was 21 in but Serie A. Lecce. That is, that's, that's kind of Lecce where it's a bit different. It's a little bit different there. But, okay. But yeah. th- but he must he must appreciate having made his debut in, Ser- in Serie A at 16 that you, you you don't necessarily have to have an automatic distrust of young players. I mean I don't think I don't think it's just um the youngness that's the issue. I think I think there's also a big thing about physicality here. And he said it himself about Brian Hill in midweek after the sporting game. He he mentions the comparison to Bernardo, but in the same sentence he sort of says, But Bernardo Silva is physically much stronger than Brian Hill, so he he's not trusting Hill's physicality yet. So I don't necessarily think it's all down to his youth or experience. And equally I think um his comments earlier in the season about Basuma simply not understanding the tactics yet were were quite um telling as well. So there's the there's age and experience, there's physicality and there's tactical um lack of, of, of knowledge of the tactics. I think all these three things are factored in. And I personally think that Conte has some of these dialed a little too high because actually we're watching Emerson Real week in, week out, who is not a terrible footballer by any stretch. Emerson Real is a good footballer. In this system, he's made to look very bad, consistently very bad. And he's incredibly frustrating to watch. And it means our entire right-hand side is a problem. Um, and, and it's very easy for teams to defend against us. And and Conte's just watching it happen over and over. And he's got Jed Spence there, who we've seen absolutely tear up the championship, play really well for England under-21s alongside very good players you know he's stood out at times against very alongside very good players and he's barely got a minute and I I just can't understand the logic there um and like like Barley says hopefully Spence will get a go against Nottingham Forest and he'll show you know he can do some good things and will be trusted from there on in but I think it's a real shame that it's got to this point with this far in the season and Spence has has played a handful of minutes as as a late sub on a couple of occasions I I I can't quite get my head around it stunned you into silence Uh, let's talk a little bit about Rodrigo Bentancur. I think his performances of late deserve um, a lot of praise. I think he's really stepped up in these last few games. Um, he's he's looked superb. So uh, Peter Strom says, I'm Team Bardi, and despite being from the North, I'm not much into Vikings. Am I wrong to say I love the elegance and occasional rush of blood to the head of, of Bentancur over Hjoibier as our best midfielder? Um I mean, I think they complement one another brilliantly. I, I'm very happy with them together. But it's, it goes without saying, you know, Bentancur scored two really important goals in the last two games. Uh, and he's increasingly 
to taking some chances. You know, he's been very risk averse so far, Bentancur, very safe. And what we're seeing now is a level of confidence, which means he's bursting through gaps in midfield. He's arriving in the box. And this is a really exciting string that he added to his bow. Nathan, do you think that's potentially due to the change in shape, the sort of extra man in midfield giving him more license? Or do you think this is just Bentancur finding his feet? I'm, I'm I, huh. It his his run of form has transcended a given formation, but but perhaps was kick started by an initial mm. shift to a three man midfield. So we 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 played three man field. He he had a step up in form, and then that has ridden out, um, changing between formations. Um, so it's hard to say. <laughs> um, I sus- I suspect that yeah, it 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 helped him gave him a, a push of confidence and then his qualities have, have shone um, as a result. I think that makes sense to me, speculatively. Mm-hmm. I had Bentanko down as my, my one to watch this season. I just had a, a feeling that he was going to just burst through and just and just kind of stake his claim and just be great. And he's been really nice to watch. I love his elegance on the ball, but then I also love his tenacity. It's great. He's scoring mm. goals. He's got a leap on him. He's useful at corners. And it's not the first time mm. he's been good at a corner. Uh, the the Harry Kane goal in the North London derby, it was his flick on that, that led to that. And I just think he's, he's improving all round. He gets a hell of a tongue lashing constantly from Conte, but he keeps going. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I really do like the way he moves. I think he's great he is such a hard runner i mean that guy puts a shift in yeah really athletic player um really really impressed with his athleticism he is he's quite the specimen to be honest um like i think he would be a he he would have been brilliant in in liverpool's fantastic three-man midfield of a couple of seasons ago like he he would have fit in an absolute treat because of his hard running and tactical discipline i am i'm i'm really growing to value him more and more as a as a player i think his his step up in the last sort of 5 to 10 games has been very much needed and and really great to watch um i'm i'm a big fan of what he's doing at the moment um, so Hugo Lloris commented after the sporting game, there are two ways to reflect about the game. The one I prefer is to say if we had played the first half in the same way as the second, with the same energy, with the same willingness to go forward, to press the opponent and be very dominant, probably the score would have been different. Even if we have to suffer, we have to go through and to finish. Like every team, playing every three days, you cannot play 90 minutes with intensity, so you miss 20 to 30 minutes in the game. Um, and yeah, we, I mean, we're seeing that time and time again with Spurs, and we've had conversations about... Um, whether this is deliberate, whether we're holding back a little given the state of this season, you know, lots of games in quick succession, World Cup break in the middle, players are going to be exhausted from that. Afterwards, are we kind of reserving energy now to kind of have a strong end to the season or at least be consistent and try and just ride out these games and get as many points as we can in this period? And it does seem that um, Lloris is sort of almost validating that opinion in what he's saying here. I mean, it goes without saying, doesn't it, that you, you can't play with full intensity for 90 minutes if you're playing every two to three games. Uh, but but perhaps you could if you rotated a little more. Maybe, maybe. I, I, I think that these comments and, and the other ones as well, there's a longer quote, but these comments definitely allude to the idea that it's that it's deliberate, that it's planned, that, mm. that, that there's knowledge within the squads that you can't play at, at maximum intensity um, for two lots of 90 a week. And so, you know, we're starting every game slow. We're tending to go a goal down and then we're tending to come back whether we get that last minute winner or not. Um, and so, yeah, this, um, I think that this probably is uh, revealing the biggest mystery of, of Conte's Champions League underperformances. Mm. Yeah, I also think that in those 20 to 30 minutes, we have to try and not do stupid things. Like, <laughs> yeah, that would be nice, wouldn't that's it? A, that's a huge problem. That we, we, you can take 20, 30 minutes out of a game in total, mm. but mm. you can't come rushing out your goal and get lobbed. You, you can't let in a, um, a daisy cutter from Marcus Edwards. You can't fall over and just not cut out a pass. You have, to be, you have to be spot on in those times, and we're not doing that, and we're leaving ourselves to almost to have to work even harder. So I think if we just tighten up a little bit, this tactic could work, but... Maybe not with our defense. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. So we are once again partnered with the Athletic Greens this month. So over to Bardi. So I started taking AG1 because I was curious about the benefits that a single supplement could give me and whether or not it works. Windy, do you know what's the one question I get asked more than any other? <laughs> I do. It is, are you really Italian? Oh, no, it's not, my little English friend. It's, <laughs> come on, Bardi, does AG1 really work? As the proper football man on this pod, I'm not going to wheel out a stat or a heat map, but I'll throw you eye, facts, eye test facts. I feel good. I sleep good. My trips to the bathroom are fulfilling and I've been pretty bu- bulletproof from any bugs. But most importantly, I feel full of energy and as Spurs keep showing us with their last minute rallies, having energy is important. On the train home from the Lisbon game, I met a lovely young man. Without prompting me, he told me, Buddy, I heard you talking about AG1, so I gave it a go. And honestly, since I started taking AG1, I've got plenty of energy to balance work and my eight-month-old kid. So I'm saying to you, give it a go and see if AG1 can help you find that energy to blast the ball into the net on 93 minutes <laughs> or clean up after your kid, your dog, your hamster. Now my English friend Wendy will tell you some more. <laughs> so AG1 is cheaper than getting all the different supplements yourself and it supports better sleep quality and recovery. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash extra inch. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash extra inch to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. So sporting, uh, I feel uh, even without the disallowed goal at the end, I feel a bit robbed after that performance because I thought we had a really strong second half. Uh, Again, another game of two halves, right? And, and Bardi mentioned earlier that, that Edwards goal was a little soft, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But um, I kind of liked what I saw in the second half against Sporting. Agree. It was, um, it, was, it was a strong performance. I sat on the shelf side, so a lot lower this time. And I have to say, you really don't... I don't know how football managers sit in the, in the dugout and, and have an idea <laughs> of what's happening because it's really low and you can't see anything really. But um, I thought the second half was good. Sporting were a little bit better than I expected, but we definitely blew them away in the second half and we should have won that match. Anything you'd add, Nathan? Yeah, largely agree. Um, definitely, definitely fit in that pattern of, of starting slow, starting at a lower intensity, um, starting with a lesser share of possession. And then mm. coming on stronger in, in uh, um, towards the end of the game, um, mm-hmm. but this time I think boosted by Brian Hill coming onto the pitch and having like uh, the problem with I've been pushing this point really hard, and when I push this point really hard, it sounds like I'm hyping up Hill's performance like it was an absolute incredible performance, and that's not my intention. He mm-hmm. he created a couple of chances. He mm-hmm. had a couple of nice carries. He had a few nice moves. He was he was good, not incredible. Um, but stylistically, what's important is that he was able to fulfill the playmaker role that we've been missing um, the entire time that Kulisevsky has been out. Yeah. Um, and he brought Kane and Son into the game, and we've barely seen Kane and Son in games for the entire time yeah. that Kulisevsky's been out. I totally agree. It's the, it's the angles he's receiving the ball at, you know, being a lefty on that side. It's the connection he gives between the midfield and the front line. It's it's everything that Kulisevsky offers and obviously not to such a high level. And it would be unreasonable to expect Brian Hill to do that to such a high level. But there's there's elements of it. You can sort of see the Kulisevsky-esque-ness in... Um, in Hill's play, and it was it was a it was a game changer. I mean, he simply made us better having having that style of player on the pitch. Um, and I I will say I I thought 
he I thought he did enough in that game to start against Bournemouth. I thought he would would start against Bournemouth. I thought that Conte would reward his performance with a start against Bournemouth. To be honest, that would have been I think good man management. Well, that's what we saw. Well. Like, he was deserving. Mm. You know, in fact, it's Richarlison's good performances in the Champions League forced Kulusevski out of the team, and now we're desperately, desperately right. missing Kulusevski. Uh, maybe, maybe he had just like a minor knock they didn't they didn't acknowledge, and that time he was he you know he was a bit pre-injury, um, and, and, mm. and we we speculated wrong or whatever, but it, it does seem very silly now. He did at the time, mm. to be fair, but yeah, he mm. he's you know, um, Doherty had to work off the bench. In order to get a start, Basuma had to perform coming off the bench to to get his start. Um, Brian Hill is performing off the bench, but he's not getting his start. Mm-hmm. I thought what Brian Hill gave us was the ability to go past players, but then have the the quality and the ability to put in a good cross or yeah. put in a through ball, which is you know something that Lucas doesn't have. He's just an all round smarter player. He he has the tenacity and the pressing that Lucas has, but he has just the street smarts on how to play football properly. And you know he's he looks. He's a nice guy, and I have a lot of time for him. In pre-season, the way he ran and the way he ran everyone into the dirt was great to see. And I'm glad he's getting minutes. I just want him to get even more minutes now. Mm-hmm. For sure. And then on the opposite side of the pitch, we had uh, we had Marcus Edwards, who I thought, again, was, was really impressive for sporting. I don't think it'll be too long before he's playing um, for, an, for an even bigger club. Uh, but I did think that the strike was one that Lloris should have saved. Um However, this is what Pompower says. He said there's been lots of fair criticism of Larice, both on last week's pod and generally amongst fans, after a couple of poor performances, especially against Newcastle. However, Larice was immense at Old Trafford, arguably managed man of the match on a losing side, and single-handedly stopping us from being humiliated by four or five goals. Yet it seems like that's been forgotten about already. A new keeper is an inevitability at this point, and I hope we look for one. But given that he turned in a performance like that just a couple of weeks ago, have the rumours of Hugo's demise been overstated? No. Shot stopping is something a goalkeeper should be doing. It's part of their job. I don't think it was anything against Manchester United that was exceptional. They, he made some good saves, but that's what he's there for. That's what he's paid to do. I think what he's not paid to do is make mistakes and get lobbed, uh, come rushing out of his goal, and get beaten from distance from a... Edwards, was it, it was a good goal. He spun Hjoyberg and die around, and he hit a nice daisy cutter, but... I think the way he was retreating, he, so he was running, he was back, he was going back towards his own goal, facing the play, and he just got his feet wrong, and he, he got beaten by it. It was a good goal, but it wasn't that good. But it's something he should have saved, and I can't. He's not man of the match for making a string of saves that most Premier League goalkeepers would have done. He's not in a good place at the moment with his form, and I think I think we do need this season. I was hoping maybe we could do one more season with him, but I think this summer we need to address his um, his his demise. It's not been overstated. It's there. It's clear to see. I um I've been scouting keepers, and Ooh. I think there's a little something to this comment because t- it turns out <laughs> it turns out the keepers who are good with their feet, good at claiming crosses, you know, good at sweeping, and also. High level shot stoppers are pretty rare. That <laughs> that for the most part, you've kind of got to lean towards one preference or the other. That the likes of Diego Costa, um, Raya are you know good with the ball at their feet, but not the best shot stoppers. Um, and the good, the best shot stoppers tend to not be all that good coming off their line or 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 with their feet. And that basically, Allison and Edison are at the club they're going to be at for a long time. Uh, and it's not a huge market. I mean, goalkeeper scouting is not a strength of mine, but just statistically speaking, um, I think that we have to emotionally anticipate a lesser shot stopper if we want to to evolve our ball playing from the back. I mean, you can um, see what Chelsea have done with um, what Potter's done at Chelsea. He's come in and he's immediately removed Mendy and put in Kepa. I've always had a bit of a soft spot for Kepa. Yeah, he's, his shot stopping can be a bit erratic and he's quite physically physically slight, but I've always admired how he's played and I think he, I do think he's a better goalkeeper than Mendy. And um, yeah, Potter, Potter does make those decisions. Sometimes he... he I think Matt, Matt Ryan was a pretty decent shot stopper, but Sanchez is just a, an all-round better goalkeeper. So um, yeah, I, I, 
I do think we will have to make that um, make that change. But then, if also if you improve the defence in front of um, a weaker shot stopping goalkeeper, then hopefully you won't have to worry on them too much. Like Edison, for example, I don't think Edison's the greatest shot stopper in the world, but he doesn't often get unless he's playing Spurs. He's not often troubled by that. Mm. Nathan, any names cropped up that you are interested in so far? Well, yeah, my my, my three guys are uh, Robert Sanchez, Diogo Costa. And um, maybe uh, Raya. That's that's mm-hmm. it so far. I'm afraid. Yeah, tough, tough area for me. Diogo Costa uh, is the guy that's recently broken into the broken into the Portugal team. Yeah, he he plays for Porto. Um, the thing with him is that um, he's very good domestically, but he's been like ridiculously outstanding in the Champions League where everyone can see him so he's potentially a little overhyped at the moment which is bad for us financially mm. obviously mm. like he he saved he saved like a bunch of penalties in the Champions League the other night he saved one it had to be retaken and then he saved it again um his passing is 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 really really strong like especially his long passing um is really really strong um but his shot stopping is like good but not great domestically over a larger sample of time um mm. so although i definitely think that he is is one of the better uh targets i'm worried that the perception is he's like seen as the chosen one and he's he's not that i don't think gotcha gotcha um and out of interest because i i like him and i always mention him how does melier come out when you look at the data hmm. so melier is someone who i did discount, but then I remembered that he's still young. So, so he's. I'm pretty sure he's he's decent with his feet. He's okay mm. with his feet. I, I can't remember about his his cross claiming and defensive actions stuff like that. Obviously, he plays for Leeds, so he's going to be isolated in one v ones. Um, um, but his shot stopping has been not incredible. Uh, he had a good season. Obviously, Leeds haven't been great through this time, so maybe mm. he's just mm. been getting isolated a lot. Um, but statistically his shot stopping hasn't been great um, but he's still really young for a keeper so mm. maybe on those grounds you say I think that his shot stopping will get better I think that's a gamble for a, a Champions League club to be making on, on a mm. replacement for Hugo Lloris but mm. um, uh, yeah maybe one to be, could continue keeping an eye on him for in the meantime yeah I mean he's he's 22 and he's playing for a team that might get relegated so I mean yeah, I think it's a it's, it's a it's a possibility 22 is very young for a keeper 22 is young for an outfielder you know mm. interesting um so what what have we what have we had on patreon this week guys so I I did a video I um basically what I didn't want to do was rewatch any recent Spurs games <laughs> <laughs> I did I did enjoy that comment yeah yeah so um rather than analyze what's going wrong i sort of um explored what could be going right right looked at some solutions so so we explored the uh the regista role um under conte we looked at some brozovic maybe i could have done some plo highlights but i feel like you know <laughs> people know what that looks like um and we talked about other ways other than just saying oh look we play with kuliseski he's a left-footed right winger um, here are some other right foot left wingers I've gone here's some other ways to get creativity and technical quality into the team so if we were to play with another six okay maybe we would be slightly you know and not Kulusevsky in a given game for example maybe we would have less production in the final third but we'd be much better under pressure building up from the back and so we watched Brozovic and how he helped Conte's Inter with with dealing with pressure without single-handedly just solving all of that on its own because you know if you're Brozovic, but the ball is at Davidson Sanchez's feet, there's <laughs> only so much you can do. Um, and yeah, just just uh, and had a look at um, my my list uh, of those players looking for Jeremy. I've added some more wingers now, by the way. If you you have the link, Ooh. go and have a look. Nice, nice. Um, I did a little Bardi's book club on um, Arrigo Sacchi's. Um, well, Arrigo Sacchi wrote a book about himself, about the one of the greatest football teams that was ever assembled. And of course, he, he does big himself up a lot because he's Arrigo <laughs> Sacchi. But there's amongst that, there was some interesting tidbits. Like you could almost compare him to Conte in the way he um, handles players and the way he... Um, his tactics, where the basis of Conte's tactics come from. You see a lot of that in Saki. But there was one thing which I really enjoyed, and it was um, Van Basten came up to Saki, and he was just like, I'm a bit bored, mate, of these automations and continually mm. practicing situations. 
And um, Van Basten goes to Saki, boss, when we play like this, I can't improvise. And um, Saki just goes to him, what if your improvisation tells you to dribble when there's a man free or go for the near post when someone's already there? And then without a script, there can, be, there can only be improvisation and carelessness. So he was very much in the same kind of school of content. This is the how we play, repeat, 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 repeat. And then that's how you win games. So it was, um, it was very interesting to see that content does come from that Saki school. Mm. Very timely, mm. very timely indeed. Lovely stuff. Um, we have a question from Elliot Cornish Sheesby, who says, "With Decky out, wouldn't Perisic make a good backup right right side of midfielder now? Great technique, experience, physical presence, and would add balance with his left foot." No, no, not for me. I think there was a very brief period where I thought, "Oh yeah, I mean, I guess sure, give it a go." Um, we desperately need to try something. And I, in that Brozovic video, um, we watched a Verona game where, where Perisic played up top in the three with Ladaro and, and Lukaku. Um, but, um, he didn't look great in the in the clips of <laughs> sure. we saw in that video. But at this stage, I'm all in on all in on Hill, and um, yeah, and I just think anything else until Kulusevski back is is a is a lesser option and yeah. uh, and a poor play by Conte. Mm, that's fair. Um, Simon Shield says, "Do you think that Son's huge individual success last season might be feeding into the stuttering start as he looks to take more things on himself rather than linking up as well with others?" There's been a few times where I felt he's snapped at chances or held onto the ball longer than necessary, a little like Lamella used to, and I feel it might be down to an urgency to hit those same numbers that are causing him to not feed others at key moments. Is that possible? I think Son is a very instinctive player, and I think when he's going through a bit of form, he tends to overthink what he's doing, and I think that's what's causing him problems. The three goals he scored against Leicester City were very much old-school Son of um, instinctive, whereas I, I do think he's overthinking things at the moment, but that will come back. I also think the World Cup is on his mind. There are individuals within our squad. It's so close now. Um, where it, all it needs is just one injury or something and, and, and it's done for them. And I think he's one of those that's that's eyeing the World Cup. And it it will be on his mind. It's, it's definitely on Romero's mind. I think it's probably on Kane's mind, mind and a few others as well. Yeah, and Son's 30 now. So, you know, he might have two World Cups in, in him, but this is his last chance at his peak, probably, yeah. uh, in the World Cup. What was the game? Was it the sporting game? Or who do we play before that? Frankfurt. Frankfurt. It might, I can't remember. Anyway, there was a recent game where every chance, every every counter-attack we had, Son just blazed a shot from a million miles away. Mm. Like, obviously, he's, he's gone through a rough patch of form, and then he came off the bench against Leicester, scored a hat-trick of one goals from distance, and now he's just never entering the box again. Mm. Um, and I feel like that is detrimental to our, mm. our play as a team. Mm-hmm. It may have been Newcastle actually. Yes. He he, yes, he had was. he had five or six shots against Newcastle, and some of them were a bit unnecessary, yeah. to be honest. Oh yeah, you know, just hit, hit and hope. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I, I do feel like Son, um, whether whether that is deliberate or not, I feel like he he feels the weight of of having to score goals. It's like he's got the weight of the whole team on his shoulders between him and Kane, at least. Um, where Kane kind of carries it and sort of is able to deal with it, I feel that Son does definitely get inside his own head, as Bardi points out, and it seems to weigh heavy on him. Um, I feel like he's a much better player when there are others around him also playing well, and he's not having to try and do things by himself for himself and sort of try and grab this game by the scruff of the neck. Like that's I don't think that's him at his best. Uh. And it does feel to me as though he has certainly been sort of taking on a lot of individual pressure, which is detrimental to his his performance. Um, but I mean, he has drastically improved in the last few games compared to the start of the season where, you know, he couldn't even control the ball at times. It was things were going hopelessly wrong for him and he looks a genuine threat again. You know, he's not reached his previous levels of last season, but he does look incredibly threatening at times in games. And I'm glad to see that improvement at least. Okay, let's end on this. Uh, so th- th- this is going to date very quickly, but um, we have Marseille coming up. Really, really important game. They are in disarray. We have to win this match. We're going into it likely without Richardson, Kulusevski, Romero. 
Do we think Conte goes three five two, or do we think he pulls out three four three and plays Brian Hill or Lucas? Oh, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Actually, because we talked about you know everyone feels everyone in the world <laughs> except for Conte feels that Brian Hill should be starting. He doesn't consider him physical enough for um, the Premier League. He's earned a start. He is a Champions League game in which he can start. Um, so that sort of neatly fits together. The only thing I'd say is that Marseille are a very physical side and Ligue 1 is a very mm. physical league and probably the most similar stylistically to the Premier League. Um, and so if he does something against Marseille, it's kind of silly um, but because it just has the branding of continental football. But Marseille are, are an intense <laughs> physical side who press really high. Mm-hmm. Um, despite that hypocrisy, yeah, I, I want to see he'll start against Marseille. Uh, that would put me in a good mood, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't think he starts. I think we go three man midfield, three five two, and um, we'll go for 30, 30, 45 minutes and see um, see where we are at half time. Hopefully, we won't be one nil down, and then I think we'll push for for a winner in the second half, and then Brian Hill will come on. Do you think we'll do it? I, th- I think we have a, a as you know, I, I did a Marseille preview, but for the group stage, and we saw in the first leg that we have a a real stylistic advantage over Marseille. They're a super intense, aggressive, high pressing side who overcommit and leave themselves open on the counter. Um, in the first half of the first leg, we played with three out and out forwards, and we weren't putting it together on the counter. And then they got a red card. Kulusevski came on and played right wing back, and we had creativity. So. Uh, uh, yeah, I I'm not too worried defensively. We just need to make sure we have a few counters, good counters, one way or the other. Um, Hill on would be really helpful. A miraculous fitness recovery for Kulusevski would be incredible. Um, but maybe we can just stitch it together with a three-five-two and and some magic from Kane. You asked, do I think we can do it? Spurs away from home in Europe have been abysmal for half a decade, maybe more abysmal. I don't think we've won a game. I think Ajax is the outlier. After Ajax, I don't think we've beaten anybody sensible for for years. So I'm, you know, I I'm concerned. If we draw, we're second, yeah. and we're through. Yeah, but I don't even think we've drawn with anybody sensible <laughs> in half a decade. So I, I don't know. This is this really worries me. It would have been lovely to have t- uh, tied this all up last week. Um, I'm concerned, yeah. Shit, I'm meant to be the positive one. <laughs> it's, um, no, we're going to do them free one. <laughs> you have been listening to The Extra Inch with me, Windy, my sidekick and best friend, Barney, and our tactics guy, Nathan If you like this, there's plenty more at patreon.com forward slash The Extra Inch. Production is by Nathan A. Clark. Our logo, artwork and website are designed by Trayton Miller. Our music is by David Lindmer. You can find him on Instagram at David Lindmer. Do check him out. He's great. great, great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us at podcast at theextrainch.co.uk. Subscribe, leave us a rating and a review. And most importantly, be sure to tell all of your Spurs friends. Shout out to the X-Sub. We love every single last one of you. And of course, come on you Spurs. Thank you.